Father, we're so thankful this morning to be here, God, to be in your service, Lord. You are the author of our faith. So, Father, we're thankful that by your cross, God, we are saved. We remember today the sacrifice that it took to make us right, to make us have a holy and a right standing in all of eternity. We won't forget that, God. We remember that. So, Lord, I'm thankful to be here. I pray, Father, you be glorified. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys, uh, I'm so thankful to be here. I'm excited to be here with you guys. I'm excited to be away from C4 for a Sunday because it gets me out of the way. Isn't that important? It's, it, I mean, I, maybe you, you don't, maybe I, I can uh, explain myself by that. I like to get out of the way because the ministry here, the ministry at C4, the ministry at the church next door, it is Jesus's ministry. That's it. And so I, I, I love, I love, love, love C4, but I also love to get out of the way because God has provided so, so many others that he speaks through. He speaks to, he speaks through. And this morning, I'm just excited for them because um, Pastor Sam Park, uh, formerly of Calvary South Denver, now he's planning a church called Truth Church, right, like two miles away from us. I'm so thankful for that because we, we need more churches. Uh, he's preaching at C4, and so I'm thankful to be here. I'm also thankful for your pastor. Pastor Sean, you guys know him and love him, but he's been um, a wonderful partner to me in ministry. He and I worked together a couple times in things of ministry, uh, and he's got a heart of gold, doesn't he? He has, he has a heart that's like, it fills this room, uh, and I look to him and so many others for things, how God wants to grow me. Um, and I, I'm, you guys are going to probably see I'm, I'm a bit abrasive, uh, and, uh, and I just look at people like Sean, and I'm like, man, God, make me more like that, right? But don't break what you're doing here either, you know? <laughs> So this morning, uh, we are going to be kind of jumping around because I want to talk, I, I want to take some time and share the word with you, and I'm, I'm so privileged to do that. And we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to work prayer into the thought uh, that uh, God uh, has, uh, has ordained for this morning. Uh, we're going to be jumping around a little bit, and you're not going to believe where we're going to start. So John, at the beginning of the worship set, he went to 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? Now, John and I, he, we live together. <laughs> That sounds weird. <laughs> Erase that from the video. <laughs> John, uh, John's on furlough, him and Kristen from Uganda, and they, they live with us, April, my wife, and I. Uh, and so we spent a lot of time together, but we did not coordinate this at all. And he began his worship set with 2 Corinthians 5.17. And guys, that's where we begin our Bible study. So go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Such a wonderful verse. I actually spent a whole Wednesday night preaching on this verse just recently. Today, we're going to start there as a jumping off point, and we're going to carry a thought all the way through as we look at the issue of prayer together. So Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17, you guys familiar with this? Man, if you haven't committed this one to memory, do it. And, you know, I'm going to give you another, another thing. You know, we sang, I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. If you sing that without your arms high, how do you do that? I mean, just let's just, practically speaking, how do you do that? I mean, if you're going to sing, God, I stand with arms high, then put your hands up. It's biblical. They prayed with their hands high and wide in the Bible. If you're not, just don't sing. It's okay. Just don't sing that. But man, I, I just, I, I think it's so important. I think it's so important that if I'm going to say, God, I'm going to stand with you with arms high, that I'm going to stand with arms high. Little things. Second Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes this. I love it. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I love that word new. I, I absolutely love it. It's a concept that not only dismisses the past. This is, and, and I don't know about you guys, I did not go to Bible college. I did not go to seminary. I did not grow up in Calvary Chapel. I did not grow up a Christian. I came to faith as an adult. I've been a Christian now a decade, not that long. 
and God has uh, moved mightily in my life. And, and to dismiss the past may not be a big thing for you. But I tell you what, man, the people that I come in contact with and for myself, to dismiss the past is a big thing. You, you feel me? He goes, what does feel me mean? Yeah, well, you work with me, work with me, work with me. It's a concept. This whole newness that we have in Christ, that you have in Christ, that we get in 2 Corinthians 5.17, is to dismiss the past on one side and forge forward in a sense of originality and untainted expectation. Those are two big, originality, that God wants to do something in your life and through your life that has not been done anywhere else. You think, well, nobody can do more than what was done through Moody or Spurgeon or people or Paul. Well, whatever. Are you kidding me? Paul was not you, right? Uh, you're, it's something completely original. And so it lets you go forward in originality and untainted expectation. We read, we say, we quote, we speak. This is the day the Lord has made. You ever thought of that? You ever said that to somebody? This is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. We say God's mercies are new every day. You say that? I say that. Man, I say that a lot when I'm counseling somebody one-on-one. Hey, listen, man, God's mercies, they are new for you every day. In the dawn of the possibilities of the day, that new day, we often share with others, we often remind others, we often even remind ourselves that no less than seven times in the Bible, God says, behold, I make all things new. But I have seen in my own heart and in the lives of others how so quickly and sometimes so entirely permanently the things of God, the privilege of the passion, you guys seen the passion of the Christ? The privilege of what happened on Calvary, it's a privilege to know this, to understand it, for it to be revealed to you. You know, Jesus looked at his disciples once and said, God, man has not revealed this to you. It's God that has, if you have faith today, God has revealed that to you. Does that not impact you? The privilege of the passion becomes, and I've seen it too much, becomes common. It becomes common. The fact that the very spirit of God resides within each one of you today, if you're a Christian, how does that not create in you a humble heart and a contrite spirit constantly. God himself, I love this, the alpha, the omega. Sometimes I just like to to bask in the awesomeness of God. You ever do that? You ever call him the alpha and the omega when you're just chilling with him? Like you can chill with God? Yeah, he's your father. Just hanging out with him. And you just say, well, you're the ancient of days. You're the Lord of lords. You just talk to him like that, you know? And just be reminded of how much higher his ways are than your ways and just rest in him for a minute. I mean, I know we all got stuff going on, but just rest in God and realize that he is the Lord of Lords, that you know him by name. So cool that he speaks to, you know, Allah is not a name. You know that, right? It's not a name. They don't, the the Muslims don't know their God by name. We know our God by name. He's revealed himself. Yahweh, Jehovah. He speaks to me. He speaks to you. He guides me, provides for me, communes with me, loves me, never leaves me. And yet somehow over time, guys, somehow, these entirely fantastic facts become common. They become common to us. The fact that you have his word in front of you today, on your lap, complete and errant, sufficient, I love it, filled with the inexhaustible riches of wisdom and truth. That's what you have in your word. And we got more time for sports illustrated than the word. It blows me away. Why? Because it's become something common. We have the codified character of God. You ever think about it that way? Jesus said that I am the word, John chapter 1. You have the codified, the coded character of God in the word of God. I love it so much. Living and powerful and yet somehow it no longer directs our day. And you might say, well, that's not me. That's not me, Matt. That's not me. You don't know me. Are you sure? Are you sure? Because I happen to be a senior pastor of a church and it's me a lot of the times too. 
I'm not just preaching at you, man. This is, this is something I deal with, and I stop myself in my own tracks. It's a great evil. should not be the reality of any Christian. And truly, it's that way because we allow it to become that way. We allow the newness. Remember the thought of new, 2 Corinthians 5.17. We allow, please don't do this, and, and believe me, I'll get, this is a jumping off. This is a foundational platform that I'm laying for what we're going to talk about today in prayer. But we allow, you allow, nobody can allow but you, the newness of the things of God and the newness of your renewable spirit. Do you know you have a renewable spirit? It's renewable, man. God renew, it's awesome. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is not just for the new convert. It's for the old Christian. Absolutely. But we allow it to dull because the cares of the world and the cravings of our flesh, man. Listen, for me, not perfect in this. I already told you it's something I struggle with. Come on, we all struggle with this. We still red-blooded, right? I refuse to allow the things of God to grow common in my life. Are you with me? I refuse to allow the things of God to grow common for the newness of my right relationship with God through the cross of Christ to wear off. Because why? I hate the result. Not because I'm all churchy, man. This is the thing. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not that you, you, you know, just not churchy. Just not who I am. I hate the result of when it grows dull. I hate the result of when the things of God grow dull in my life. And hate is too weak a word. Carnality, man. Do you hate carnality, Christian? I hate it, man. I mean, we're like that. It's like, it, it's like boiling in me all the time, this fallen nature of mine. But I literally, I disdain it. It causes me to be a bad father. It causes me to be a bad husband. Right? Just, a bad, just bad anyway. You feel like, man, I, I need to go wash my hands or something. I feel dirty. Irritation with others gets real easy. Do you have a long fuse with others? A short fuse? I know it. Me too. I, gotta, dude, I ain't talking like I got that long. I got a short fuse, but God help me. God help it to burn slow. You know what I'm saying? Unthankfulness. This is what I hate about it. When we allow the things of God, 2 Corinthians 5.17 rolls off of us because that was our salvation verse and things start getting dull and we become hard, unwilling to change. I believe Paul described it masterfully in 2 Timothy. We'll jump around a little bit. Go to 2 Timothy. And this 2 Timothy chapter 3 is not just for like the world in the last days. It is. But man, it's for us. It's for Christians in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. This is a result, guys. A Christian can do this too. Anybody look in the mirror this morning? I know y'all pretty. I know you did. (laughs) Some of you. (laughs) Uh, But we do this too as Christians, man. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, and you say, this is not the church. I say, are you serious? Have you been in the church for any period of time? I have. This is us too, man. As soon as the newness of the things of God and the renewed spirit wear off of us and we say, God, I got this, I figured it out, we become brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here's where it ties into the church, having a form of godliness. We got a form of it. We speak the language, Christianese, we all know that. But denying its power over our lives, connotation, context. Denying its power and from such people, whoa, Paul, are you serious? You gonna tell me this? From such people, he says, turn away. For that, for, guys, stop thinking of others for just a minute. 
Doesn't that mean you too? How many times, I mean, maybe you do this too, but I have to turn from myself. You guys do that? It's okay to talk, I'm sorry. Yes. Like, we don't like you yet. Okay, all right, I'm only on page two, we'll get there. I gotta turn from myself. That's, I mean, it, it, let alone the, the folks, you know, folks around me that are walking in the flesh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna evangelize them, and I'm gonna go pray for them. But man, I gotta turn from myself and plead to God to remind me of how privileged I am to know him. How privileged. Man, I am privileged to have him. Listen, and, and maybe your story's different. Every one of us has a story. But when I got saved, man, I felt 2,000 tons of bricks come off my shoulders. That who I was, who defined me in my heart of hearts and mind of minds was gone. And I had the right to dismiss him. I, I didn't find the right in drugs. I didn't find the right in alcohol. I didn't find the right in money. I tried every bit of it. I didn't find the right to dismiss him. It, who he was just became more and more and more dark. And yet when God, when God came into my life, and April and I were married at this time, poor lady had to fall in love with me twice. She loves me. <laughs> I mean, the, all I could do was say thank you. You ever know, you, you, maybe not you, but maybe if you didn't get saved until later in life, you didn't know how to pray? Don't have no idea, no idea how to pray? I just prayed thank you. That's all I, I couldn't do anything else but be thankful for the weight being, being off of me. And so I remind myself, I turn from myself, I plead to God to remind me of how privileged I am to have him, to have the word, to renew in me the heart of newness, the new, newness of heart. You know, when things get old and crotchety, nobody likes that. I don't even know what crotchety means. If that's a bad word, I apologize. If that's the first time I offended you, just wait. We got more time together. But new, new, you know, everybody has like a, a connotation to, wow, that's new, that's good, that's fresh, that's clean, so fresh and so clean, clean. Thank you. One person. But man, oh, thank you. Old, old, you know, crotchy, man, nobody likes that, dude. My kids, you got littles? I got little kids, man, and they come around somebody and like, you got kids? You know, what do my kids do? We don't like you, you know? But you open your arms, you know, and just, you know what I'm saying? They do, They're, they don't hold it back. Like, why are you so old? No, but you, you, you say, oh, wow, these are your children. This is your little. This is, you know, as I met Caleb this morning, I said, this is your little. You know, I mean, gosh, that newness. It just welcomes in and it's the same for us. Of all the things, remember, because we're going to put this in context of prayer, of all the things within this Christian walk that we grow accustomed to, man, and I tell you what, I am so convicted in this. So convicted, better so. I'm better today than I was. But man, I ain't got there yet. Of all the things that we grow familiar with and ultimately take for granted, we take a lot for granted as Christians. If you're not, by the way, if you're not a Christian this morning, I'm going to tell you why you need to be before the time's through. I'm going to give you what I call the material gospel. It's a gospel that you can grab onto and it makes sense. You know, Christianity is the only religion, and, and I, I shun to even say a religion because it's not really a system. It's a, re, it's a personal walk, but it's the only one that makes sense. Has anybody ever looked into other religions? Tried other ones? Oh, yeah. Christianity makes, it makes sense, man. The math works. I call it the material gospel. I'll share it with you in a minute. But of all the things that we take for granted, one of the things, one of the things most of all is prayer. It is prayer. The privilege of it all. Now, now listen, I'm not talking about time and prayer or hours a day. If you've got somebody that comes to you and says, well, how many hours a day do you pray? I would say, mm-hmm, mm, I'll probably turn... It's not about time. I'm not, it's not that at all. It's about the newness of your heart towards God in prayer. It's about the power of prayer in your walk. It's not about, let me go get in a room. Listen, man, some, some of your prayer closets are a treadmill. You can holler. 
<laughs> I know my man here prays on a treadmill, you know? I mean, it, could, it doesn't have to be go in a closet, turn the lights off, light five candles and, and get some incense going. No, no, no. But if that's you, that's cool. But it doesn't have to be that way. The importance of prayer is what I'm talking about. The privilege of prayer, the newness of it. It's not about the quantity of time, but rather it is about the position of the heart. That is paramount in prayer. We cannot, please hear me. We can't, this is an important teaching. I'm telling you, I'm so excited to teach. It's so important. We cannot take talking to God, hearing from God, and communing with God for granted. We can't do it, but we do. We often do. There's nobody in this room. If you've prayed, nobody in this room that doesn't take it for granted because we just jump to what we need, don't we? We cannot allow it to become tired or common in our hearts, minds, understanding, and overall approach. And I got a big point coming up. Why? Why can't we, Matt? Because, listen, you, you can throw churchy theological ideas at me all day, but give me some why behind that. Well, number one, God is good. He's worthy, number, number one. But, bef- but even, even alongside of that, in, in prayer, when we take prayer for common and we stop talking about or thinking about how it's a privilege to just talk with God and be close to God because of what's been done for us, listen, that is where we lose. Lose what? My answer is yes. Yes. It's been said, this is so cool, that if you can beat the devil and overcome the flesh in your prayer life, then you will beat them on every other level of your life. That's the truth, man. And I ain't talking about getting on your knees and praying for six hours a day. Please, you got a life to live. How are you going to shine the light for the world when you're in your prayer closet all day? If that's you, though, fine. (laughs) Fine. We make room, right? I believe what I just said, though. I believe it, man. And I'm not saying that because I have the most fervent prayer life ever, man. My approach is different than yours. We don't need to even talk about my approach to prayer because it's different than yours. I'm just talking about how's your prayer life with God. Stated differently, if you have victory in this area of your walk, then you will have victory in all other areas. It's the truth, man. If you can battle it out in prayer and get God's heart in prayer, then you don't have to worry about going and being a good employee, going and being a good servant, going and being a good, 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 good. You will be as you ought to be. I deal with a lot of people in this calling that God has so graciously given me. I tell you what, and I'm, a, I'm what's called a bivocational. I've, I've learned to embrace that term. I'm a bivo. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Well, yes, I do. I work full-time, right? And I pastor full-time. Um, and so I, I interact with a whole lot of people in the church scene and in the work scene, man. And it's different. They say, well, it's different. I mean, I work with a lot of people that aren't believers, man. But I tell you what. They are, they are searching, they're seeking, they're needing, they're thirsty. I disciple many, I counsel many, I invest in many, but above all else, and in your pastor's same way, check it out, I study people. You know, you, you and I spend more time observing each other than we do talking with each other. We do. You and I spend more time observing each other than if you're, if you're being discipled by me or by someone else. Listen, I will observe you way more than I'll disciple you. That's just how it is. It's practi- I'm just talking about... And now I am talking about time. You know what I'm saying? Just seconds and minutes and hours. I have found to be true this, what we're talking about, not only in others, but most certainly in myself. Oh my gosh, big one. Listen, that when I am walking in the flesh, it is when I am, do you guys walk in the flesh? All right, everybody repent. No, okay. <laughs> when I, we all do, man. When I am walking in the flesh, it is a direct result of my failure in prayer. Direct result. And I'm not talking, please, I'm going to say it again because I want to drive this home. I'm not talking about time, 
spending all this time in prayer. I'm talking about how you approach God. And do you have a heart that remembers what it's cost you to even get to God? We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. I'm not talking about time. That is religious weakness. Religion on its own is weak. No power to save, no power to help. I'm talking about my heart towards God is not thankful, is not humble, is not broken at the reality of what my salvation and subsequent calling cost him. You know, let alone being saved, man. If you, if you got salvation today, you got it. Well, we're going to talk about the preciousness of prayer in a minute. And we're going to talk about what it costs you to talk to God or what it costs God for you to be able to talk to him. But if you have a calling in this life, a calling towards ministry, man, I tell you what, does that not completely humiliate you? And you say, well, I don't like to be humiliated. Of course you don't, flesh ball. Of course you don't. <laughs> but to be humiliated, man, is, that is to allow God's spirit to flow through you. It is to be a position of power in all of eternity is a position of humility, and yet we reject it like the plague. My failure in prayer is forgetting what my calling and my salvation cost Jesus. My heart towards others is not soft. My heart towards others is not serving. And everyone likes soft serve. <laughs> punny. It was punny. Where's George? No. But my heart, my heart starts to become cold, man. Yeah, you ever just feel your heart kind of chill? Like cold and mindful. This is how I know my heart is being cold, whether I perceive it or not. It is, my heart is mindful only of my own needs and my own preferences. I know that that is projecting like this. It's manifesting and being cold towards others. Well, why is it failure in prayer, in my own opinion? Paul knew this. Paul was aggressive and intimidating. Do you know that? Remember, he was the one that held the clothes while they stoned Stephen. Remember, he was the one that would go to the houses of the Christians and pull them out into the street prosecute he was intimidating cold and aggressive a person of passion and zeal constantly whether for the forces of good or the forces of evil he probably had very hard days days where he had interactions with people and then walked away going i did not do that well you ever have one of those you just didn't remember you were right everything you said was right but nothing you said represented the heart of god i've had lots of days like that but he found himself paul found himself right back in the newness of prayer Holding on to this newness, freshness, purity of faith is really what it comes down to. So vital, so capital, so predominant in importance. In, in importance, it's a new word. Importance. Write that down, I like it. In importance. It's so critical in importance to the heart of the Christian and to the heart and soul of a church. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy, go to 1 Timothy, because you were in 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2, I love it. He says this, therefore... Verse 1 in chapter 2, I exhort, which is a churchy word for I encourage or beseech, another churchy word, I press you, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. Now skip down to verse 8. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere. Look at that, lifting up holy hands. See that? Biblical, isn't it? Say, well, I don't, I, I don't, I come from a Baptist church. We don't, oh no, Baptist church, they lift up their, they carry the basket. They carry, yeah, they carry the basket. I like that. Sorry. I did go to a Baptist church once when I was a kid. They carried the basket. But it, it, lifting up your holy hands, that's biblical. But I love what Paul does. He says twice here, I exhort, first of all, that the prayers be made for all men. And I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere. So it's so important. He's writing administratively to his protege. He's writing personally, pastorally to Timothy. Timothy was his protege. And what does he say? The primary point of focus is, is what? It's prayer, man. It's prayer. 
Not once, but twice, Jesus. This is so cool because Paul was side by side with Jesus in this. Jesus made a monumental proclamation during his earthly ministry on this subject. And his proclamation wasn't just vocal. It wasn't just him standing and maybe giving us the Sermon on the Mount, as you probably are very familiar with. It wasn't academic, but physical example of even force when it came to this thing of prayer. Twice he cleansed the temple. Do you know that? Two times. First time he went to the temple. The very first time. John chapter 2. Turn over to John chapter 2. This is the very first time we have an, an encounter of Jesus going to the temple to pure, and he ends up purifying the house of God and returning it. In order to purify the house of God, he returns it to a house of what? Prayer. Isn't that cool? To purify his house. He returns it to a house of prayer. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Now what's cool about this is oxen, this is very symbolic what he found in the temple. Oxen is a picture of work. Do you know that? It's a picture of work. An ox was to work. A sheep is a picture of sacrifice. And the dove is a picture of peace. And that's, that is, man, God's house. Work. It's good to work in the house of the Lord. Amen? I was blessed by all the, bless you, brother. I was blessed by all the name tags that I saw coming in here. That's fantastic. And guys, if you're praying or just thinking about, boy, I'd like to be on the security team, do it. We, we have a waiting list for our security team at C4. It is such a fervent and wonderful ministry to oversee and watch over the flock. Guard the doors during service, and boy, do we need it. Anybody in here packing? No, I'm sorry. Don't answer that. I'm sorry. That probably, sorry. We need that. Okay, so John chapter 2. Where were we? Oh, yeah, oxen. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and packed heat and sheep. And say, one person got it. Sheep and doves. And the money changers doing business when he had made a whip of cords. Now, don't play with the Greek there talking about, well, that really means he just kind of did like, a, like a, a chopstick. No, that's for real, man. He made a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. That's big. And poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, now there's a whole symbolic Bible study here. Why did the sheep and oxen get thrown out? And why did the doves get spoken to? Total, another awesome study. No time there. You can play with that with the Lord later. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. You ought to be making peace, man. Peace between man and God. And that happens through prayer. That happens through you calling out. You know, somebody, I was just talking to somebody the other day uh, who just now became a Christian, staunch atheist, wanted all the questions answered, you know, is anybody here got all their questions answered? <laughs> right? Right, because God is bigger than us, right? I love that thought. But he said to me, you know, I prayed for years and nothing ever happened. And I've been saved for like two weeks. I prayed like four prayers and they've all come about. And I was like, dude, I don't mean to be, and I, I have no filter. I said, bro, I, I don't mean to be harsh, but before you got saved, your prayers went nowhere. They just evaporated into the wind. And he received it. You know, that's so cool. I mean, a heart of a disciple can receive that kind of hard truth. It's like, you prayed to the ceiling, man. I mean, read Isaiah 1. You spread your hands out to pray towards me, but they are covered in blood and I will not hear you. Man, we have the ear of God because of the cross of Christ. It's amazing to me. He says, bring peace in my house. Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. You see, the, the money changers were out of sync with the entire purchase purpose. They were into purchasing, but they were out of sync with the purpose of the place. They were businessmen. 
Church is not a place for business. It's not a place. It is a place to do the business of God, period. It's not a place to make money or to make profit. They were out of sync. Now, what might shock you to hear this morning is that were they, answer me this, were they doing the work of God? That's a tough question, isn't it? They were making it so sacrifice was a possible thing in the temple. Therefore, we must answer yes. They were doing the work of God. This might shock you. But the issue is not what they were doing. The issue is not what are you doing in this church. The the issue is how are you doing it. God's work must be done with God's spirit. And the slipping away that they missed at the temple that made Jesus go in and cleanse it, the slipping away that we miss as churches, the slipping away that I miss as a Christian, at its core is an issue of prayer. Jesus goes into the temple and reminds them that this is not their house. You know, people say, um, you know, I, I, love, I love your church. I'm like, cool, it's not mine. I wanna, or I hear people talking about, well, that's Sean's church, Matt's church. No, 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 uh-uh. This is not Sean's house, and C4 is not Matt's house. It is God's house. It is the Father's house. And that's what Jesus goes in and reminds them, I love it. Matthew 21, this is the second time Jesus goes into the temple. Watch this. Now we're going to get into the thought of prayer here a little bit more. In Matthew chapter 21, look at verse 12. Are you there? Oh, I'm not there either. Hang on. I'm not there. Okay, now I'm there. Matthew 21, 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God. Then Jesus went into the temple of God. This is a second time. And drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. It's amazing that he just kind of comes back to this thought of the dove. It's cool. And he said to them, it is written, my house is shall be called a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus drives out the businessman. I trust that he'll do that at C4 as well. I trust he'll do it here. The temple had become a shortcut. You might not know this. The temple was a shortcut between one area of the city to another area of the city and people were taking their wares through the temple just using it as a shortcut they weren't even there to worship they were just carrying their stuff to the marketplace and jesus says making prayer paramount in the heart of the christian in the soul of the church he said my house this house shall be called a house of prayer paul said first of all we will pray four things i want to leave you with in terms of prayer and then i want to talk briefly about the picture of prayer in the church what does it look like in a church Four things about prayer that hopefully convince you to go and seek the Lord and change. Now, if if you're sitting there going, well, I don't need to change. My prayer life is fine. Then you need to repent. It's, It's not true, man. Each one of us, because daily we slip away. We slip away. We get spotted by the world, especially if you work in the world. If you were, I mean, man, I tell you what, by, by the time Wednesday comes around and we got midweek service at C4, I am desperate to be there. Are you? I am desperate to be like in the, in the fellowship of the people of God and to spend some time in worship. I'm desperate to teach the word. Sometimes it's just nuts. I mean, it's just a disaster. But that's all right. Desperate to be there. So I, I hope that what we talked about, some of the things that I'm going to end with, will convince you to go and just say, God, will you help me? Will you help me to repent of carnality? To understand 
that the battle begins in prayer. It doesn't end in prayer. We don't go to prayer when the battle's raging. We go to prayer before the battle. Man, it's preparatory. Prayer is four things I want to share with you today. It's many more than four things, but four things that God has put on my heart. Prayer is precious. Prayer is personal. Prayer is powerful. And prayer is pleasing to the Father. We have got to hear and understand and embrace that prayer is in itself. Prayer by itself is precious. A good way to think of precious, and I know that's a real, you know, it's so precious. I mean, it's it's such a precious word. You know, Peter used precious a lot. I don't really, my buddy Chin does, if you know Chin. I don't use the word precious a lot, but, but I thought of it this way. It's pricey. You ever heard precious metals, precious gems, precious stones? Prayer is precious because it's pricey. It is of ultimate value. Consider the cost of prayer was the cross. The cost of prayer. That you and I can take a minute and right here with God, no matter where we are, talk to God. Un, un, unfiltered, man. God doesn't even, he, if you filter, he's like, hold on, check your heart. Then come back to me. Unfiltered with God. All your junk, just bring it all to God. That, that is, that cost God, the, the price of it was the cross. We think little of prayer because we fail to associate it with where it was procured. We think little of prayer because we fail to associate with what it costs God. It costs Jesus his life such that sinful men might pray to a holy God. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's why my homeboy's prayers are now being heard by God. And listen, God's not going to answer more. God's a good father. I got a six-year-old. You got one of them? He's like, let me play with a knife and run in the street. Yeah, not going to answer that to the affirmative. You know what I'm saying? God's a good father. He's not going to answer yes with everything, but I promise you he's going to answer every prayer. I promise you. If today you, you are saved and have given your life to God, no matter if you're a mess or not a mess, listen, there are two types of Christians. There are wrestlers and there are runners. You might be in a season of wrestling with God. That's okay. It's a sign of life. Dead people don't wrestle. I've never tried that. That'd be weird. I'd win quickly, I guess. I don't know. Maybe you're running with God. Maybe you're running hard and you're surging forward and you're in just a season of growth and that's great. That's wonderful. He hears every prayer. No matter what season or, or, or facet of life or facet of your walk that you're in because by the blood of Christ you've been brought near. I love it so much. Let me talk to you just for a minute about the material gospel because prayer is precious. It's pricey. Here's the thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ because I've looked at the others and there are appellants, there are things that appeal to us and especially to our flesh about other religions. I mean, if you're a man here, Islam is definitely appealing to your flesh. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I look at, I, 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 my heart breaks when I see women in burqas and stuff because I'm like, what's in it for you? What's in it for you? Your virginity is, is re- replaced or, or, or refreshed and now you go to heaven and you get to be a perpetual virgin. What's in it for you? You just get to get kicked around. I don't get it. I don't get it. I know if my wife was a mother, I'm sorry, I wouldn't go, she would not have it. You know what I'm saying? She would not have it. She would not have it. The heck was I talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. The material, God. I start talking about April, my mind goes, just a baby girl. All right, sorry. Um, amen. Oh, the material gospel. Check this out. You're going to like this. Man was created perfectly. Do you know that? Our original design, the code that we have, it's all corrupt now. We're filled with viruses now. But the original code that God put into man, breathed the breath of life into mankind, it was perfect. He took a big step back from all of creation and said that it's good for God to call anything good. I'm talking about God. 
The one who has no shadow of darkness, no, no shadow of turning go- all good. To call something good, it must be perfect. Hey, good, thank you. Amen. It must be perfect. Good in the standard of God. It must be perfect. And so God created man absolutely perfect. And then man, by man's own free will, allowed sin in. By man's own free will. The law came about to show us that we are now in sin. You know that? The law, the Exodus chapter 20, Ten Commandments. And you think, well, I've never broken the Ten Commandments. Yes, you have. You've broken all of them. You just don't know that. Maybe, maybe you don't. Anybody here seen Way of the Master? Oh, my goodness. Nobody knows about Way of the Master up in here. Thank you. All right, you demand. Can you share that with everybody else? Good. Thank you. <laughs> it's so good because people say, well, I've never, you know, I've never killed anybody. I haven't committed adultery on my wife. And Ray Comfort just walks him through, well, wait a minute. Jesus said, Jesus said that if you look upon a woman or a man with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. And so all of us are guilty of all 10 points of the law, by the way. And so we created, I mean, sin brought about, we brought about the condemnation of the law, is what the Bible would say, that we now live under the law. We have a debt to pay. Now, God put out this perfect thing. He said, okay, live in accordance with the law perfectly and everything will be reversed. Because through one man, everything became reversed in the first place. And therefore, you, man, man, you, or you, woman, Live in accordance with the law, and it will be reversed. It's awesome. But the problem, right? Anybody in here perfect? No. No man was found. Job, nobody. Even the most perfect of the examples we have, nobody, even Noah, righteous man, even Moses, knew God face to face, not good enough. And so God became a man. This is why it makes sense. This is why the material gospel, I can reach out and take hold of it because man had a debt. Man couldn't pay the debt. Man was sinful. Man was separated from God. And God looked down on us and said, daggone, they ain't a mess. That's what it says in my Bible. I wrote that in. It said, nobody, there's no man to be found to pay the debt that man has and therefore I will become a man. Jesus was not born under the condemnation of the law. Why? Because he had no sin nature. The seed of Adam was not in him. Do you understand? It, it, the proto-evangelium, is that what it's called? It's so churchy, sounds so good. Proto-evangelium, ah, so theological. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, said, I will put enmity between you, talking to the serpent, between your seed and her seed. Problem, women don't have seed. That's in the man. So that, all the way in the beginning, was a picture of the virgin birth. And so Jesus came, Father, was and is God. No sin nature. And he lived perfectly, therefore fulfilling the law so cool Does that makes sense it, it makes sense to me man the gospel of jesus lays flat in my head and everything everything else i look at doesn't lay flat for me and oh by the way i'm leading my family in this it better lay flat for me man if you've uh, if you're maybe visiting this morning and you're part of a seventh day adventist or jehovah's witnesses church i know we have some mormons over at c4 today make sure it lays flat in your head man it's a challenge that i put out there if it doesn't lay flat in the head then what are you doing what are you doing you're devoting your life to this and it doesn't lay flat for you? Get right. The gospel lays flat. Prayer is precious because it, it is the gospel. It is how we come to God. Prayer is personal. Second one, all relationship is established and maintained in simple communication. Do you know that? If we don't talk, we ain't, we ain't you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, I know that dude. But if we don't talk, if we don't communicate, then what relationship do we have? Prayer is the means by which you cultivate intimacy with God. Do you know you and I are to do that? We are to do that. We are to grow our relationship with God. Well, how do we do that? Learn more, more knowledge, more school. That's a theological term, guys. No, man, you, you spend time with God. 
You talk with him. You learn about him, and then you take that and translate it into a prayer life that is a personal relationship directly with God. I love it. It's the only part of your walk that's only you, by the way. You know that? Bible studies. I mean, you share your Bible studies. You share in worship, corporate worship. But I tell you what, I mean, we have prayer time and prayer meetings and things like that, but your prayer life, you engage, that's you. That's, you. That, that's awesome. It's a personal thing. Prayer is powerful. Prayer will align you with God's heart if you're doing it right. There is a wrong way to do it. You know that? Praying for fleshly needs, fleshly desires, or in personal perspectives, as James would say it, is a miss. A miss. Change your perspective in prayer from one that seeks answers, from one that seeks delivery of something from God to a perspective that honors God and honors the cross. Change your prayer. Man, I tell you what, I could, it's like prayer is powerful in the life of somebody who's got the perspective of God. But at the same time, if your, if your prayers are hindered in that you're praying fleshly desires, it manifests. Do you know that? It, 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 it follows you around like a theme song. I don't know. It does. It follows you around, man. You get the after. What's your aftertaste around people? Is it old and crotchety and hard and rigid? Or is it, man, man that, or is it sweet? total reflection of your prayer life. Prayer is powerful because it is the only way by which you will obtain a heart like God's for others. I'm convinced. I try to talk myself into liking people more. It doesn't work. Does it work for you? It doesn't work. I meet people and I'm like, I'm like, and I like try to talk myself into it and say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. I should be nice. You know, it doesn't work. I got to go. You know what I'm saying? I got to go and, and deal, deal with my heart, turn from my own self, she knows what I'm saying. April gives, April here, she knows that she over here is smirking at me. Will you quit? You need to sit in the back, girl. <laughs> she knows. Because I, I mean, she, she can read me, man. I, I, I wear my heart on my sleeve anyway, but she reads me. She knows when, boy, mm, mm-mm. I got to take that to God. It's the only way that I can get a heart like God for them. If you are not praying, oh, here's, it's going to get personal. Okay, you're going to get offended. <laughs> Sorry. If you are not praying for your husband, in a way that honors God. I I didn't say God make him a better husband. I'm talking about in a way that honors God. God, help me to be the conduit for your grace in my home. Help me to be a reflection of your goodness and grace. That's, That's honoring to God. If you're not praying with a heart that is honoring to God towards your husband or towards your wife, no wonder things have gotten so common at your house. No wonder. No wonder you're so cold towards him or towards her. If you're not praying for your pastor, no wonder you're not getting anything out of his sermons. You know what I'm saying? Sean every week puts his heart and soul, mind, and strength into delivering the word. And you walk out and say, I got a couple good points. Man, I'm telling you what, go pray for him for a week and then come listen to a sermon. It'll blow your mind. You'll be like, that dude full of wisdom. When did that happen? If you're not praying for your boss in a way that honors God, no wonder you don't want to go to work tomorrow. I love Mondays. You know what Tuesday is? That's Monday number two. I love Mondays. I get to go in. I love my boss. Pray for him all the time. Does he get under my skin? Absolutely. He's my boss. He's supposed to. He challenges me, right? But I'm praying for him, man. If you're not praying for your neighbor, you know the neighbor that puts their trash out and they put it on your side of the yard. (laughs) Maybe you don't have that, but we, we have, never mind. 
If you're not praying for your neighbor, then you might end up with a razor blade out there cutting it open and tipping it to their side. You know what I'm saying? That doesn't honor God. But if you're praying for your neighbor in such a way that honors God, you will get, get this. I'm going to blow your mind. You will welcome their trash. You'll walk out and say, God, I'm thankful that they put their trash in my yard and not mess up their yard, even though my grass is nicer. Anyway, if you... <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. If you're not praying for your enemies then no wonder they're still your enemies. Prayer is powerful in aligning your heart to God's. Know this one more thing on the powerfulness, the power of prayer. I want, I want you to know something. This affects me, quakes me. That your prayers are heard in heaven. That changes things, man. It, it changes. It, it gives me like a fear in approaching prayer to know that when I take time to focus on the Father, that my prayers are heard in heaven. You know, this wonderful mind picture was given to us. We have something called Freedom Church at C4. meets at 6.30 a.m. on Sunday morning, and it is to teach people how to teach the Word of God. We have, I don't know, what do we got for fun? 12, 15 guys in the group, and then another five or so come out to watch. Um, And one of the guys got up, and he was teaching about Ecclesiastes, or we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, and he said, you know, Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, we we think. He doesn't self-identify. But he talked about Solomon. He said, picture this. Picture a chair in the throne room of God and Solomon sits in it in ragged robes in a crown to the side that's a little bit worn and he's writing and and nobody else, it's a beautiful, grandiose throne room, but nobody else is in there. He's completely alone and he's writing his heart of all that he's missed in the things of God. Man, I tell you what, that's amazing to me because many times, and I hope you do this too, I will find myself in the very presence of God in his throne room. Prayer is powerful. Finally, fourth thing, prayer is pleasing to the Father. Prayer pleases the Father. Why? Because the prayer of the saint, the prayer of the saved, is the aroma of his son. It pleases God to hear your prayers because it is the very aroma of the cross. Prayer is the scent of a heart seeking and trusting in Him. Focused attention on God. I know you've got Caleb, but people in the room have littles, right? Are they, nobody else has littles. We're in big trouble. All right, we're, I love it. So you point, right, they have littles, they have them. They're not raising their hand. That was awesome. That was awesome. I loved it. She totally sold it. Like, they have littles. Ain't saying nothing. No. My littles are always busy, man. They're always busy running around. There, unless my, my six-year-old has two speeds, 100 and zero. That's it. <laughs> and when he stops and just focuses on me, I tell you what, it's awesome. It's, you know what I'm saying? Prayer is, is pleasing to the Father because he is your Father. It's a time where you stop, 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 and just focus on him. Here's a big point, big point. The thing that changes the environment And the aroma of the atmosphere around a Christian is prayer. Changes the environment around you. The aroma, your theme song, your aftertaste. It's prayer. Why? Why? Because you become who you hang around. Kids in the room. Youngins. Be careful. Be careful who you you pick as your friend. Man, one of the reasons why I got lost in drugs for five years was because I became friends with the people that did drugs. Duh. But I was like, yeah, I can handle this. You know what I mean? Maybe not. But you become who you hang around. And so this is the truth. 
Have you been hanging around God? You will be like Him. It's so true, man. You will just reek of grace. You will reek of love. You will reek of justice as well. Don't think you all soft talking about, I float everywhere I go. No. God is holy. He's just. He's the lion as well as the lamb. You will reek of righteousness. Not just being right all the time, but righteousness. The character of God. So, the foundation is laid. I want to downshift for just a minute on logistics. How do we do this? What does prayer look like? What does prayer look like, really? How should we pray? Listen, billions of possibilities. These books on prayer, you know, I don't know. I don't know, man. I, the prayer of, was it the prayer of Jabez? That was big, right, back in the day, you know what I'm saying? Now it's all on the goodwill, you know what I'm saying? You go to like Salvation Army, there's like 20 of them. <laughs> like, hmm, right next to the Book of Mormon, you know? Books on how to pray. You got to pay for that too, you know? I'll buy it, throw it away on the way out. I'm sorry. I, I stay at a lot of hotels when I, try, I travel a lot with work. And uh, I'll open the drawer. If there's a Book of Mormon, I throw it away. <laughs> Not even convicted. I do. And I don't throw it away in the room because they'll just take it out. I take it somewhere. There's that theological word again. Billions. Billions of possibilities. How should we pray? Billions of possibilities. Why? Because prayer is personal. Anybody ever get up and say, okay, when you pray, put one knee down, one hand up, one eye closed. No, don't listen. Because prayer is simply to put your heart in the hands of God. Some thrive on hours of prayer. Some do. Some get in their prayer closet. Some on the treadmill. Others thrive. Maybe this is you on an open day, open line all day kind of prayer life. Open line. You know what I'm saying? You just pick that phone up. First thing you do, get out the bed. You talk to God. You pick that phone up and you walk through it all day long. You know what I mean? Y'all kids don't know. Pick the phone up. What does that mean? Does that mean send? They don't even have send buttons on cell phones anymore. It's just green and red. Is it green? I don't know. Back when I was a kid, you had to pick the phone up to use it. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? No, I'm not that old. I'm not that old. I'm not that old. Well, so what's right? If some thrive on hours and some on an all-day line, what's right? Which one is better? I would say neither. Prayer is personal. Prayer is personal. Make it that way and keep it that way. Make it that way and keep it that way. Corporate prayer meeting. Let's talk about that for a minute because I want to share with you a little bit about a church prayer meeting. Somewhat the same. Each church, each fellowship has its own rhythm. Do you know that? You guys have a soul. As a church, as a church family, you have a soul. You, you have a feel to you, right? It's just the way it is. If you go visit another church, you're going to get a feel for that church as well. It's, it's a different rhythm, a different soul. Is there a standard structure for the church in terms of a prayer meeting? No, other than to have one. <laughs> That's always good. But there are some good run rules I'll share with you. Number one, no gossip. Prayer is a good opportunity to gossip. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Lord, I pray for Norm, who spent 12 hours playing video games yesterday. <laughs> Lord, I pray for him. His wife hates him. No, no I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That doesn't happen. They look lovely, <laughs> and I'm sure he does. Do you do that, brother? I'm, not, I'm done. I'm done. But it's a, it's an op- isn't it an opportunity, though? I mean, you know, you and I have been in prayer meetings where you're like, whoa, TMI, IP, too much information in prayer. No fishing. No fishing. If you, if you guys, I don't know if you have a corporate prayer meeting. Sounds like you do. Sounds like you might lead it Thursday nights, I guess. Worship and prayer. No fishing. In other words, you know, you're there. You, maybe you've got a single brother there and you're a single lady and you say, oh, Lord, I just pray for a husband. 
<laughs> sitting next to Nor with short hair and a nice smile. You know, you can fish. Be careful. This is the truth, man. You got to be careful about fishing in prayer because you know what? The, the folks that have a heart for God smell it out. We smell it out quick that that person's fishing for something. No novels. No novels. People come up to me all the time. Can I pray for you? And I stun them. I say, yeah, sure. 20 seconds. <laughs> and they're like, what? I'm like 18, 17, <laughs> 16, <laughs> 15. You know what I'm saying? Because home people be praying, you know? And it, the, it, it, I love it. J. Edwin Orr used to advise brief, earnest prayers, especially in prayer meetings when you guys get together as a church. He said that when one prays in a meeting for his first three minutes, everyone prays with him. Have you heard this? I love it. For the second three minutes, everyone prays for him. Should he continue for a third three minutes, people pray against him. <laughs> that is the truth, man. So no novels. No novels. Finally, in a corporate prayer meeting, all things decently and in order. All things God-honoring, decent. Decent. Don't, don't be praying about nasty things. Y'all be nasty. Y'all business. Don't be praying about the nasty business. Decently and in order. Know this as we close. I love this so much. I have a closing thought and an exhortation for you. The church, the church, we, us, corporately, C4, white flag, together, one church. The church was not born when someone was preaching. The church was born when, some, when they were praying. Acts chapter 2. The elders of Revelation fall at the feet of Jesus. And in their hands are golden bowls. And filling those bowls are the prayers of the saints. God proclaims in his word, call out to me and I will answer you. Did you hear that? Call out to me, I will answer you. The Christian's response, the church's response should be one of intense excitement towards prayer. Did you hear what Jesus said? Boy, if he was here walking through walls, because he did that junk, don't think he didn't, he walked through walls. If he just walked through a wall and stood right here, we, why would be, if we'd be more intensely excited about Jesus because we see him with our eyes, then we are carnal. We are carnal. We should have great excitement towards prayer because he simply says, I will answer you. That, in, that is, guys, that is unless you've let new go. If you're not new anymore. And it's so easy, man. I, I've only been walking with the Lord 10, what is it, 2005, what is this, 2006, 11 years. Been walking with the Lord 11 years. I refuse to let it not be new. I refuse. I got no time for some boring, tired religion, Christianity. I'm not, I, I have no appetite for that. I'm trying to leave my kids in this. What am I going to show him? What am I going to show her? That this stuff is boring? Are you kidding me? No, my heart needs to be right towards God. I, ah, that's theological. If you've let new go by the wayside, remember 2 Corinthians 5.17 is not just for new converts, man, it's for us, church. If you've let new go by the wayside, then return. Return to a simple heart of prayer. Stop taking prayer. And for that matter, the things of God for granted. Stop it. That's the devil's desire. Do you know that? The devil's desire is for you to take the things of church. That you, that you have a building. Ah, you have a place that you got to come and meet. You're on comfy chairs. You see the chairs we used to sit on at C4. Make it talk about I ain't going back. You, we take it for granted. We take, you guys got food. I'm looking at it hungry. You guys have food. You have like these awesome screens. You got this cool flag. You, we take it for granted. I got blue lights on me. I don't know. They make me blue. I don't know. They're nice. We take it for granted. 
When you start, they, that's all the devil. The devil wants you to take your wife for granted. Do you know that? Oh, she's going to be there. She's stuck with me. Are you serious? Christians get divorced. Isn't that horrible? It's terrible, but it happens. It happens. She's stuck with me, so she's going to have to deal. You've, you've taken her for granted. You take your husband for granted, and then things get dull. Man, the devil wants us to do that. Why? When you take things for granted, the things that you have been granted get taken. That's the truth. God has granted us such privilege and to know him and to seek him. And, and man, and then the enemy comes and he just pulls it away and you become a jerk and you're okay with it. You've grown okay with being a jerk. I'm all right with being cold. You know what? I'm a, people need to understand that I'm strong in my faith. Really? I'm sorry. They don't understand that here, do you? Kristen's like, they don't know. Faith. Sorry. I'm a little ridiculous. They, they, and you, and you become hard and you become cold and you become okay with it. And that's so tragic. And the devil, he just, he just laughs at you. You become the derision of the devil, man, walking even in the church. Even the strongest of feelings, emotions, and inspirations, listen, they expire. Nathan, you've been doing this thing a long time. You ever seen inspiration expire in somebody? Isn't it horrible? You're like, man, they used to be so on fire for God. And now they're living in an apartment while their wife and three kids are in a house. What is going on? What is happening? And yet they were on fire. Inspiration will expire when it is ignored or taken for granted. Don't think I don't think that, man. I love the Word of God. You know what I'm saying? I love teaching the Word. You're like, duh. You feel me? I love it. I love worshiping God. I love being in church. But I also know that tomorrow I could not love it. I also know that if I for a minute start to let it dull in my heart, I won't let, I refuse that. I hope you do too. You and you alone, this is big. You and you alone have the right in your own heart, and the power in your own mind to dismiss the past. Do you hear that? You and you alone. I can't do it for you. I cannot convince you to go and repent of your carnality and grow closer to God. I can't do that. Only you can do that. You think you're going to change me? No. No sermon's going to change me. No, only my, it is my will bent to God that changes me, and that's it. Do you know that? We're Americans, man. We don't change for nothing. We want it our way right away at Subway. You know what I'm saying? Give me the double meat. I'll pay the dollar. You know what I'm saying? Sorry. We are the only ones. You are the only one. You've got to change you. If you think today, you walk out of there today and say, no, I'm good. I'm, you know what? I'm good. Then you are, man, even as a Christian, you're lost. You're wasting your time. Only you can dismiss your past. Only you can make the decision to forge forward in a sense of originality and untainted expectation repent this is my last set here and we're done repent of common just repent of common reject a life that fails to glorify god this starts man in your moment this starts this is like my life my life this starts in your day your moment right now if you're fighting with him reject it it doesn't glorify god why not be wronged, Paul would say. You take them to the court, you put them in front of the judge, you put your wife in front of the judge. You take your wife in prayer to God and say, get her God. And God says, why can't you just be wronged for my sake? Reject a life that fails to glorify God as you rile through each day in carnal corruption and captivity, even as a Christian. You've become who you've been hanging out with. Man, you can look at it. Do you not see it? Do you not see it? Look in the mirror. The Bible says that one that is foolish looks in the mirror, walks away, and forgets what he sees. Look in the mirror. How are you with her? How are you with him nowadays? 
Has the sweetness of your courtship fallen off? Has, has the sweetness of your love towards her stopped? Well, then you've got to repent. Ain't nobody going to do it for you. You've got to reject it. It doesn't glorify God. You've been hanging out with the wrong one. You're thirsty. You're weary. Today, the king, man, he calls out to you to come to him. And this is what it's going to take, and this is why we hate it so much. It's going to take being found out. This is why we hate it so much, man, because we have these game faces on, church face. We get all churchy, right? And we walk in front of people with our prayer hands. Uh... <laughs> but I tell you what, man, you got to be okay with being the bad guy. You got to be okay. You got to be okay with being found out. It's going to take, if you today are hard and crusty as a Christian, it's going to take a declaration against the self that you have become. Man, I tell you what, Paul said, I die daily. This is something he was good at. He, go, he got good at declaring against his own self, and it made him godly. I love this so much, though. If you'll do that, if you'll risk being found out that you're not as spiritual as you like to think. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a spiritual... <laughs> I'm not, man, and I know it. <laughs> Front row knows it. I'm not. Just a regular guy. I just love the Lord, man. If you're, if you're okay and ready to have a declaration against yourself and what you've become, listen, I love this. You go to the Lord, and he will satisfy every humiliating longing that it would take to get to him. You know that? We won't take the risk because we, we don't want to be found out. But then we get to God and he's like, let me fill those humiliating voids that you've created in getting to me. I'm a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. I believe that, man. How horrifying to delay. And then once life has passed and you are old, your heart is filled with regret after all that you've missed because you were so afraid to just be broken. You were so afraid to just be thankful. How horrible if that's you. It's horrible, man. My desire is to thrive and to glorify God. What does that mean? Glorify God sounds so churchy. It's just this, to shine the light on Jesus with my life. That's what glorification is. It's like you have a spotlight in your life, and most of the time that spotlight is right on us. But if you turn that spotlight onto the Lord in your life, that's what it means to glorify God. Practically speaking, that's my desire. As a Christian, it is my desire also for the church to glorify God. Hebrews 3.15 says this, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. If you will hear his voice, but choose today to believe in him. Choose today to obey him, to return to the newness of a right, purified spirit in Christ. I love it. Does that make sense? To get back to new? Just get back to it and stay there? Get back to it? That prayer right now is, is the absolute linchpin in accomplishing that. Does that make sense? If it does, then what do we, you got to go do something about it. You got to do something about it. You got to. Remember, man, the church wasn't born with a sermon. The church was born when people prayed. You got to go do something about it. Maybe today you're not new. Maybe today you have no idea. I don't know, man. In a, in, anybody here not saved? It's all right. Fine. We'll reveal you. Like, whoa, really? Yeah, stand up. We're all going to look at you and judge you. What's the big deal? Isn't that horrible? People say, well, don't judge me. Are you kidding me? You tell me, if I have good judgment, you praise me. But then you tell me not to judge? Dumb, dumb. Of course we're going to look at you. 
If you're not saved today, man, listen, and you don't know the Lord, but you have a heart to be saved and to accept Jesus, man, and to understand what new is like, let's do this. Let's do some business in the church as it should be. Oxen, sheep, and doves as it should be, man. The material gospel makes sense. It's the only, thing, it's the only way you're going to go to heaven. I tell you what, Greg Laurie just taught last night that one sin is going to keep you out of hell. Do you know that? One sin. We've got to be cleansed of our sins. We've got to be made right. So I tell you what, John, you're going to come up and do one more song, right? And I think we're going to have a time of communion. If you'd like to get right with the Lord, I'll be up here. We're good looking over here on the right. I'll be up here with her. If you guys want to come up and receive the Lord, you come up and talk to me. I don't, you know, I don't know, you know. But if you're saved today and you're going to go home, you're going to go live with the Lord, you're going to go do your devotions this week and attend your church services, I would ask that you remember 2 Corinthians 5.17 and remember, remember to make it new. Only you can do that. God has jurisdiction on the heart. You have jurisdiction on the will. And therefore, the heart work won't happen unless you first do the will work. Bend your will towards the things of God. Father, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to share, God, about your love today. And uh, God, just talk on the preciousness and the personal nature, God, and the power of prayer in our heart, Lord, is to please you. Father, I pray that you would be glorified in our lives, that we would reject a common Christian approach to this thing called church, that we would reject it, Father, and not be satisfied with the things that the world would say is the church's place, but we would, Father, in your power, take over where we are for your glory, God. Lord, I do pray as we close today for the leadership of this church, I pray you bless them. Bless Sean and his family as they take a time of rest, that it would be a time of even newness for him and his family, Lord. I'm, I'm so in need of it, Lord, as a privilege as you've given me. I'm so in need of it all the time. Father, I pray, Lord, your blessing, your anointing upon this place, that you'd be glorified. Jesus, we're thankful for the cross. We're thankful that you paid a debt we couldn't pay. You made right what we had made wrong. Thankful, God. I will not forget what it cost you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.